to IEP Radio, a show dedicated to the education of all things indoor environmental quality related. And now here's your host, Michael Schrantz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to IEP Radio. This is episode 17. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Jeff Bernert, Chief Operations Officer, and John Bernert, President and CEO of AeroOasis. We had a fascinating interview today, and I'm sure you'll find that to be the case where we were able to talk through the technologies that they're using, learn a lot about the science, learn a lot about the research involved with these units that they're using, both the portable equipment and also some of the whole house solutions that they are offering. It was a great interview that I had with them because I was able to ask questions that I've had for a, quite a while regarding some of their limitations and also some of the concerns that we have or had had uh, prior to talking with them. I think that both Jeff and John did an absolutely fabulous job uh, addressing these concerns, showing the research, and really uh, just increase my confidence in the efficacy of these units, some of which are very clear. And even the stuff that I had always been on the fence on, uh, really, um, these two guys um, were really able to be realistic with me and show where uh, one type of technology may be a better fit for certain clients versus the other. Welcome to the show, uh, Jeff and John. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You bet. Appreciate it. It's a real honor to have you both on here today. Uh, Jeff, I know you are the Chief Operations Officer, John, President and CEO of AeroOasis. And the reason I wanted to talk with you today was AeroOasis is now uh, central in a lot of topics and discussions I have with uh, clients, patients around the globe. Um, you guys have really made your mark. And with what I have learned in the past couple of years, I would argue what I learned in the past 15 minutes talking to you before we started, um, you guys really just, I think, have your hearts uh, and minds in the right place for people who suffer from chronic illness. Um, I can tell you in the field, when I'm out working, uh, a lot of the observations I make about AeroOasis are subjective and certainly anecdotal which is why I wanted to dive into some of the science with you guys today to understand, to show the audience kind of what's really behind all of this. Uh, but in its efficacy, I, I see uh, where I see these units seemingly having the most benefit to people who have chronic illness is really uh, in large part, um, and I, again, I know it's subjective, has been with chemical reductions. People who have had off-gassing of building products or different sources in their homes or offices, it just seems like these units are shining through. So I know we're going to dive into that detail a little bit, but I thought maybe we would start with learning a little bit more about the history of AeroOasis, uh, maybe perhaps from its conception and to where it is today. Okay. Nice. You mind? I'll dive into that. So, I mean, AeroOasis started a little over 14 years ago. Now we start off with one air purifier, which was the AO3000. Uh, that was our original unit, just contained APCO technology only. Uh, we really wanted to do something different. You know, everything we saw there pretty much consisted of a, a filter of some sort, a pleated filter and a fan. And that was almost the only option at that point in time when we first began. So we wanted to do something that was different to actually go farther than just pulling air through a filter and just, you know, taking things out of the air. We wanted to actually, I guess, do more of a sterilization as you, as you might say and actually break things down in molecular levels. So send ions out and kind of seek and destroy, reach the far corners of a room and actually, you know, eliminate contaminants at their source. And that's how we came up with the first AO3000. And then we've kind of built upon that product to what we have today. That's, that's the short version. Yeah, right. Yeah, you guys should probably talk about this for 15 years uh, based yeah. off, of, off of the history. Um, no, that's good. And, 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 and I'll tell you, 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 t you used a couple of words uh, a moment ago, you know, filtration, and um, I like to use the word purification. I want to take a moment and talk to you guys about this. Um, it's not an issue, but it definitely there's some confusion in the market and the industry about the term filtration versus, versus purification. How I understand it is that filtration is simple. It's just the removal of a contaminant, whether using a filtration media, can be, um, you know, uh, filter-based, uh, carbon-based, but it's simple. It's, it's physical removal of the contaminant from the environment of where that filter is located. Uh, with purification, to me, it's more about manipulating the environment. It's breaking it down using different technologies, and we can talk about uh, UV, ozone, ionization, PCO technology. Would you guys agree that that is a broadly speaking, acceptable definition and difference between filtration and purification? 
Yeah, we, we, yeah, usually, so. we usually break it down to active versus passive. Right? Okay. All right. So active being purification, yeah. correct? Right. Yeah. Right. When you have an active technology like ours, you know, then we're actually emitting something into the environment that will actually be able to oxidize and de deactivate bacteria, mold, fungus, virus, biocontaminants is what we like to call them. Right. And then the uh, passive technology is when you have something that gathers uh, the air and maybe takes, brings the air into the, through a filter or, or captures it in order to try to clean it in some way at that point and then release, uh, you know, a cleaner version of the air into, you know, into the environment. So that's the passive technology. You're waiting for something to come into the unit. And we just felt like that was an, an incomplete way to do it. It wasn't very efficient. Right. And but yet it was effective for what it was designed to do, and that was to take large particulates out of the air and make it easier for like you know firefighters and things like that to be able to work in environments that were contaminated and and um, that could be a, 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 a maybe a lung issue in the future. And so for for that type of application, it was great. I mean, no doubt. But but they called them air purifiers, and they weren't air purifiers. They were just air filters. Right. And so we wanted to see what was available as far as actually purifying the air, but not just the air, but we started seeing like MRSA and, and MERS and these different things that, that maybe were surface uh, you know, contaminants as well. And we wanted to say there's got to be something out there that could you know, affect them in a, in a negative way, but not affect an, an individual, a human in a negative way or a plant or a, a pet, for instance. Right. Um, yeah, I'm a pet person, so I think I was more concerned about my pets than anything else, because right. we don't, I didn't want to put things in my home that was, you know, was going to hurt my pets in any way, or my children, my grandchildren. And uh, we used to always tell a story about how, uh, you know, we were so concerned about the first thing that a young couple does when they come home with a newborn baby is put it on the carpet, put it yeah. on the floor. That's the dirtiest, most contaminated place that you could put a child, that you right. could pets have to walk across it. So we thought, well, you know, what, there's got to be something out there that could, that, you know, that could help in that, in that regard. So that's when we started researching different ways to, um, you know, find new technologies other than a filter. Something well, and you guys have, I mean, I'm staring at uh, three of the primary technologies. I know there's a force, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It feels like somewhere in the balance of our universe, it's, it's a combination of utilizing the different sciences to get a, a, a bigger uh, stroke of, of, of addressing the contaminants, the stuff that you can uh, get out of the air because uh, either through diffusion or some sort of a laminar or flow that gets it to the filter for removal, that's great. But for the ones that are in the back corner in another room, they're not going to, you know, grow a pair of legs and walk towards the unit just because you want it to. And so it's this combination. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit. That's a great segue. Uh, in, in terms of the Aeroasis family, um, when we think about the purification or active devices that you have, I, I, if you can go on, you go on your website and you can see it, but you use um, what's called advanced hydrated photocatalytic oxidation. I know that's a mouthful or AHPCO. You also use ionization and then you also use ultraviolet light. I was wondering if you could describe to the audience in terms of those technologies, how you guys are using it. Is there any sort of synergies involved here? Um, and, and why ultimately you're putting them into some of your products. Want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. yeah whoever wants the mic on that one. Bill Flo on all the pieces I missed. Um, so yeah, there, there is synergy between them. So really the main reason why we use the ultraviolet radiation is it's a fundamental part of the APCO technology. So in order to excite our catalyst and really make it effective, you have to have photons from the light source. So if you're gonna have a light source, you might as well have a dermocidal light source while you're at it, correct? Sounds so good. That's where, the, that's where the UVGI comes in. So there are, even in the, some other studies that were done from uh, universities and so forth, where they tested several different PCOs, they tried everything from black lights to dermocidal to UVA, UVB. Um, I think one of the early studies at University of UT was, I think used five different light sources on titanium dioxide to see which would have the best overall PCO reaction. So we just happened to choose one that was also germicidal while we're at it. So you have a broad spectrum UV light to ignite the catalyst and, and make it, um, you know, be able to break down volatile organic compounds and deactivate um, RNA and DNA of biological contaminants and so forth. So those two definitely have synergy. You can't have one without the other um, and, and achieve the overall goal of the APCO te uh, technology. So 
those definitely play a role. And then whether you're looking at EPCO or you're looking at bipolar ionization, either one, you're basically taking water vapor in the air, humidity that's already present, and you're breaking that down into other ions, which then go out and do the purification for you. So we're not adding humidity. We're not necessarily adding anything to the air. We're just rearranging molecules. Okay. And so that's how both of them work. Um, but they complement each other nicely. I, I don't know if you have other questions. going to dig that no, deeper. No, no, this so. is great. This is great. It's like I'm, I'm salivating in, because I know there's a lot there. Basically, it's a, it's a search and destroy mission. Uh, I'll be on the screen right now. I have your 1000 G3 unit, probably one of the most common units I see in people's homes. So we can, we can use it as an example. Um, what, what, what inherently is it doing? You're talking about by ionizing this technology, it's going out there in the air, probably through diffusion, uh, natural currents that are in the air moving around, and it's combining with certain contaminants, anything that will really bind to that charged particle. Am I saying it so far? And then breaking it down by stripping it of molecules, or what is it doing? Well, I wanted to add just one thing to what John said, and that was we, we looked a little further. Uh, you know, we, we saw some ideas on catalysts, but most of those were micron-sized particles, and they have to cover a target surface because that, that UV has to react to the, um, to the components in the catalyst on the target surface. But without getting into the proprietary stuff, but we were able to uh, find nanoparticles. Mm. to actually uh, that that increased the target surface so we could increase the amount of ions being produced so that was really important we saw that and that was that was exciting in itself but but those um, having more ions really put us in a in a class by yourself as far as our catalyst is concerned and I think that's the reason why it was it was so effective in, in that regard mm. so the, the PCO technology that you, you hear about mostly was actually created by NASA. And, um, and they, they discovered you know, what, what it could do in, in space, but they, they wanted to reduce the amount of ethylene gas being produced so that it would extend the, the shelf life of fruits and vegetables in space. When we got to look at that type of technology, we thought, you know, well, that's, it, it was incomplete and they just shelved it. I guess if the patent ran out of whatever, then it, it got shelved. But we took that to another level. And that's when we added like two hydrating agents. We wanted to be able to create uh, a specific type of ion called a hydroperoxide. And, and, that was, and that hydroperoxide in creating of that, that's what really sanitizes surfaces. That really uh, you know, cleanses and purifies uh, the surface as well as oxidize and, and other things that the benefits that you get from the technology. And, and all that came from uh, actually just a simple idea of, of NASA back years ago. That's where you hear that about the NASA technology. Well, and you know, you guys were nice enough to share with me some of these um, studies that were done, uh, done which um, maybe you could explain to, to our audience a little bit here. I'll kind of get it started of what we're seeing. But what I gathered from the, the three different um, documents that I have up is we have a report here that uses um, your induct Tech, nano-induct technology. So that's essentially the same technology uh, that was used in this report back in 2012. Um, in a 2,000 square foot warehouse, I mean, so this is not some little chamber or laboratory setting. It was more realistic to real life conditions where what they did is they were looking at um, how different um, chemicals or uh, constituents were reacting or, getting, or where they were lowering in concentration. And I'll spare the audience all the drama um, th there was a clear reduction in uh, total VOC counts, even over the period of two to three hours. I mean, you could see the chart here, and this is in parts per billion. I mean, it's, it's very low concentrations that we're able to detect here. Um, and other things, uh, formaldehyde here at the bottom, again, a reduction. Clearly, uh, this technology seems to be really work, what work well with breaking down chemicals. Um, and, and I mean, am I missing that on this doc and this technology? That's essentially what we're seeing here. Right. And one thing I love about this document, which is another reason why we shared it with you is because we had this for a new distributor we were trying to uh, bring on board overseas. And this distributor, you know, didn't necessarily believe our claims or didn't want to believe them. We said, okay, we'll send you a sample to do your own test. And so we send them a sample of the product. They hired this lab to do the testing. And then when they were done, they sent us the results. So it wasn't anything that we, you know, paid for ourselves. We didn't ask anybody to do the testing. They just, 
you know, oh, it, it, it was it was third party and then and then separate analyzed by third party yet again. I mean, it really was right. to scrutinize the technology. And I got to say, I don't know a lot of other companies uh, that are in your general industry that are, even promote this sort of thing, which you guys are doing with us here today, at least. And uh, this is wonderful. You're 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 asking people to say, well, if you see something, let us know. But we're claiming this because of the science. Oh, and by the way, look, it works. And you could carry that story. Uh, to at least with what we see in other studies you've shown. This one is more having to do with the bipolar 2400 technology um, in that it was installed in, uh, this is something we install in the duck work. We'll get to that in a little bit about that. But that over the matter of four to five days, you saw a reduction in uh, total VOCs. Uh, this is the first few days here they, at 6.30 p.m. on 10.23 of that year. They turned this unit on. Uh, and by, you know, come Tuesday or come Thursday of that following week, you were down below the threshold limit of 500 parts per billion that you guys were aiming for. And this appeared to be, where was the setting here? This was inside of a ductwork in a home or an office? Do we know? No, this one was actually done inside a school system. Okay. Yeah. So, so again, real application. Yeah, um, we did quite a bit of work within schools. So Yeah. And yeah. the DMC were always a concern within a school because they have a lot of students. And I always say the number one contamination source in any building are humans. Every right. time we sell, we breathe out contaminants. So you have a lot of students in a room, DOCs go through the roof. So what, what was great about this, it was a, a company that does uh, remediation and those types of things and, and uh, looking for uh, air solutions and, and school, like John said, the school systems and things. And they came to our facility because they were using our units. And they said, we, we have to show you something. We were really impressed, and they showed us this. <laughs> well, it's got to be a feel good. It it is because we certainly weren't expecting that. Usually, when somebody comes and says, "We got something we want to come by," yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Oh, great! Yeah. Here we go. Well, and again, really appreciate it uh, because of the real life testing. I mean, this is real life. Anybody can manipulate a test. Not that that's what we should always think, but it's just a lot more. The trust is there. I mean, that's really what we're talking about is the science and the trust and the integrity behind your design and your intentions. And again, with me in the field and what I see, this is consistent. These units are really doing a great job breaking down a lot of total chemicals. I know that it gets beyond my pay grade when we talk about some chemicals are able to be broken down quicker or better than others. So it's not like it's equally breaking down everything with the same level of efficiency, but from a total count, like an average, it is just knocking it out of the park. Even when we take a look at this uh, study done in West Texas at A&M University, uh, this is the older model, um, which if I remember correctly, this unit doesn't even have the bipolar technology. Right. I get that right? Whew. And and in that study, I know there was also the induct units that you guys were uni using back then as well. Again, we see, just to spare the audience the drama, uh, this is a great study. They, they, they say what was done, how, how they, the samples were collected, the deabsorption tubes, um, how they were analyzed, um, uh, that sort of thing. And at the end of the day, what you see is an overall reduction uh, in the uh, AO3000 unit. Um, you can see the red line represents when the unit was running, a blue line with it not running. Um, they had induct purifiers running in the lab too. There were four of them. And, and you see a clearly a reduction. So I feel like no matter what study, and I know you guys have sent me others that we're not going to pull up today just for the sake of time, chemically speaking across the board, there's just a clear reduction. And to me, that makes sense based off of the idea of diffusion. Chemicals are lightweight. They're able to react with this technology and break down. Um, life is good uh, in simple language. I would like to segue into a question for you. I know we had a moment to talk about it before. I'd like to bring it up again, let the audience know your thoughts on this. One of the concerns we have and that the, uh, a lot of the clients I work with have are these concepts of byproducts or intermediates. So um, a big talking point is ozone, uh, for an example. And then the EPA came out with a document in 2018 uh, here it is right here, residential air cleaners, uh, for those of you watching. Um, and basically, I'll, I'll get to the part I wanted to talk about, which on page nine of their document mentions there's these concerns about PCO technology and this, this, there's the, the idea that they could generate formaldehyde, different aldehydes, nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide. And that would, that would be a concern. My question to you is, 
how does your technology differ? Because some of the technology you use is it contains the word PCO in it. How how do we differentiate and and show that there's not as much concern here with your products? Well, PCO is just basically PCO technology is titanium dioxide and UV. So what we what we did, and we knew that was incomplete, obviously, because it would break down certain chemicals to form byproducts like like formaldehyde. So we were looking for something that that would not do that. You know, that is, is there something else we could do to make it more efficient? Well, we discovered that by adding other components to the catalyst, like I said, without, you know, getting to proprietary stuff, but by adding those extra components. And actually what I did was looked at the element chart on, on a basic, uh, you know, when you back, I guess back in science, you know, you probably saw the little element chart with everything on it. I don't remember what grade I got in science, but I don't remember <laughs> being a top tier student. Well, they were, they, they break them down into family, into groups, you know, of, yeah. of elements. And what we did, we looked at, at that element grouping and to see what else was in that, that group of elements that might, you know, work better. So we started adding some other components to the catalyst and, and that's how we hit on what we have today. Um, maybe it was, a little, maybe we were a little lucky on that. I don't know, but uh, certainly when we, we added these other components to that catalyst, suddenly we found out not only did it not produce formaldehyde, or byproducts like that, it actually uh, broke them down. It actually not, you know, it, it's, if, there, if so, it was present, it would eliminate So it. titanium dioxide is the most common that most um, PCO air purifiers or other PCO devices utilize. And so with our catalytics, we actually have five different catalytic metals. We won't, won't go into which ones they are, but um, several of those are different oxides. And some of those are found to be, well, I think the highest one we use is a thousand times more effective than titanium dioxide alone. Mm -hmm. So most companies won't use these other oxides within their catalysts simply because the price is outrageous. So right. titanium dioxide is cheap. I mean, it's the pigment in white paint I mean, yeah. or toothpaste exactly. or sunblock or it's common. So it's cheap. But to add some of these other metals we use, you know, you go from, from paying, you know, a few dollars per kilogram to paying hundreds of dollars per kilogram or thousands of dollars per, per kilogram for most expensive ones. So, um, I think it's the, it's the synergy between all those different catalytic metals that make ours a more complete catalyst and have more complete degradation of all these chemicals, as well as the extra hydrogen agents. So like I said earlier, you have to take humidity from the air and convert that into the other ions that actually do the cleansing of the air. So if you're not attracting enough moisture to the surface of that catalyst to begin with, you're not gonna have a complete breakdown of the VOCs. Which obviously so. is your goal. And I mean, I think the, I think I can't help but the term you get what you pay for um, is appropriate here. I mean, it, it's all subjective, but you guys are doing what it takes to create a unit that actually works, not just putting something that looks fancy on there and has a nice little cool blue light that shines out of the top and then someone thinks that they're, but it's not really doing anything. Our, 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 the science is definitely telling us otherwise. Um, right. So this is good. Well, my um, background in, in wellness as well, and, and one of the things that we did early on, John and I were, we sold, uh, we were resellers for other companies of air purifiers that were out there. And, and some, some very popular ones, even the same ones that are popular today, but basically what we found out is they were just a box with a motor and a filter. And that was it. And they were calling themselves air purifiers. And, you know, that was discouraging. I mean, because we, you know, we, we wanted to create something that would really be helpful, even though, and we're not allowed to make health claims and things like that, which, which I understand. Damn, but, but you know, if, if you could improve the indoor air quality in someone's home, uh, you have to make them healthier because look at look how many people suffer from allergies and, and allergic We fight the same fight, uh, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's like we really don't know the, the direct line between reduction of this is going to equal, you're going to feel better, but we holistically understand that when you stick yourself in a box, contaminant levels typically in terms of concentrations will go up. And so we're trying to counter that. Because the reality is, is that unless we're walking around in the desert with a loincloth, it's really hard to create this quote unquote clean environment. And, and, and I know it gets beyond this, this discussion with even what's the quality of the outdoor air. So you guys are doing amazing things with this technology to try to bring you back down to a neutral level, even better, uh, I would argue, in some cases. You guys have spent, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the technology. I know have been focusing on the VOCs, the chemicals. I wanted to talk to you guys about 
the topic on mold and bacteria real quick. Can you give me uh, your version? Um, I know there's been studies also done. I don't have them uh, up, but I have seen them where there had been Petri dish sampling. Tell me a little bit about what you guys have seen in terms of this technology and the performance in um, addressing mold and bacteria as just an example. Let me go. Yeah. Okay. So, and once again, one of the most original features of our product is the ability to, as we always see, seek out and destroy your active technology. So, so when you're looking at anything biological, mold, bacteria, viruses, you know, not only can we treat the air that goes through the device, but it can actually treat air on surfaces outside of the device as well, or anything that's surface borne on a, a counter or what have you. So we can help to, um, um, since we are technically deactivating whatever the contaminant is, breaking down its ability to um, replicate, and we usually call it sterilization more than anything. So we're able to actually reduce even surface-borne mold and bacteria. Now, if it's, you know, we, we don't ever make outrageous claims. If you've got mold coming from behind your wall or embedded deep within a surface, obviously we're not going to do anything there. We're, you know, we have people ask us all the time, well, a competitor said their air purifier can go through a wall. Can yours do that? I said, yeah, if you throw it hard enough. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, it's not going to happen. So, right. <laughs> right. Well, at least you got it, gave them an honest answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, the technology is great. It can, do any, it can help to reduce surface-borne mold, bacteria, virus. It can help to treat the air and things along that line. So, obviously, you're not going to you know, penetrate a human skin and help you know, make any health claims or help reduce a virus within a person. You know? But we can do anything environmental. And that's really where we stand out and we're apart. I know there's even, um, you know, some uh, debate on whether or not there's, you know, mycotoxins and things like that left behind after you do deactivate mold spores and, and what have you. So the debate is always what happens with those. So with our technology, it does oxidize. It will break them down to a certain, certain level. But this is why we've come back. And we, we did realize over time that, we don't have all the answers with our filterless air purifiers. You know, we can cover a broad spectrum of air purification, but there's always room for improvement. There's always things you cannot accomplish. And, and we found out that our users of our product kind of discovered this earlier than we did. And so they would have Air Oasis filterless technology in their home. And then they go buy a competing HEPA filter to complement it. So you have overall perfect air quality. And so we thought, hey, Let's throw it all in one box together. So with our iAdapt Air, we have HEPA and carbon, so we can absorb and we can trap. But we also have our APCO technology, um, germicidal UV, and bipolar ionization as well. So we cover a more complete spectrum of air purification with that device. It seems like it's all jam-packed in this, in this device. Yeah. That's yeah. So, there. so, so I, I, and I do want to get into the technologies um, a little bit. Um, I think the takeaway here, I'll make one comment because then I really want to get into the fun stuff, you know, maybe a couple of where, where and how would you use these products type of discussions. Um, what, I, what I think, and I had this discussion with these guys uh, to the audience er, uh, earlier before we got on about their, their, their studies are definitely showing, um, we use the word deactivating or making, say, a viable mold spore or bacteria cell non-viable. It will not grow. And that has its use. Understand that if you have somebody who's immunocompromised um, or is worried about some sort of pathogenic exposure where it can create disease or, say, like aspergillosis in the lungs and where uh, the idea of killing things or breaking it down enough to where it can't uh, culture, it can't, it can't uh, grow, um, is a plus. Um, the, what I love about Air Oasis and what I love about uh, their family uh, that are behind the scenes is that they understand this. I think iAdapt Air, Air was the way to say, okay, well, we're going to try and break down uh, as many chemical, basically as many contaminants as we can. Chemical, we'll try to break down as much as we can, microbial, but we understand that it's not a full spectrum device. Um, we still want to remove um, physically remove when possible. And iDapt Air comes into play. That's on your screen right now to try and also add the uh, filtration component uh, with the use of HEPA carbon to physically remove the stuff that may still be present floating around, um, may have even have been deactivated, but it still can cause an inflammatory response for people who are otherwise susceptible. We think about people who have CIRS, that sort of thing as an example of that. Um, these guys are really, uh, this family uh, behind Air Oasis is really um, taking the time to get it right. And I can't say that for uh, other manufacturers. Um, there's, certain, there's other good ones out there, but uh, Air Oasis, I think, is one of those people that holds the torch and leads the way. 
Um, I wonder if I can switch gears with you guys a little bit and just have some conversation about helping clients, people who are interested in the products, if they were to go on your website like I'm doing right now, um, you know, there's, there's not a thousand options, but if we're more in the residential sector, um, why would somebody want to get, for example, an IDAPT Air versus a G1000, uh, I should say a 1000 versus a 3000? Are there, are there situations where one may be more advantageous than the other? Sure. I mean, if you're, um, you know, if you have allergies to pollen, dander, things like that, you need to quickly remove those from your environment, fill with an IDAPT Air. It's got large fans on it, pulls a lot of air through the device, traps all those particulates in a filter, removes them from the airspace quickly. Um, if you're making certain as odors, VOCs, and you really don't care if you have pollen in your air, go with one of the filterless units. You know, it's less maintenance, more energy efficient, um, you know, fewer filters to replace, and it's gonna do a great job, as you've already highlighted, breaking down the VOCs and the odors, and, and you know, it can even deactivate, you know, we have tests on viruses, bacteria, and everything sure. as well. So and I've well, seen those, and it does show a reduction, uh, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. So, so it can help in those areas as well. So it's really just a matter of what you're trying to accomplish. If you have CIRS, you know, and you're going to have sensitivities to the byproducts left behind after mold is actually killed off, go with iAdapt Air once again, because you're not, you know, you're kind of covering the full spectrum. You're going to have the quick initial impact of the HEPA filtration, large amount of fans, the air being pulled through the device. And then you're going to have the more long-term residual effects of the ions kind of breaking down the remaining contaminants long-term. So, John, what about 1,000 versus 3,000? How do we know where to, where to go there? Yeah. So as we always say with, with the APCO or the filterless technologies, you know, it's, it's really a matter of a time more than it is space. So if you have, you know, a, a living area and you have mild contamination, yeah, sure, it'd be cost-effective to go with a 1,000 G3. But if you have new contaminants constantly been introduced to the environment or you need a more rapid breakdown of those contaminants, go to 3000 G3. Yeah. You know, you, you def definitely do have a, a difference of power, which basically comes from the difference in the size of the APCO cell within those devices. Yeah. And, and you're just uh, more ionized hydroperoxide, basically. So the, it's, it's producing more. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and you did make a point. I know we didn't touch at it online, but we did off about this concept of it's more an issue of time. It's always going to produce it. But, um, you know, it's, it, you guys worded it better, but the idea that these radicals or I'm using that word, the things that you're throwing out into the air that are grabbing onto them, if they're grabbing onto stuff, it's not grabbing onto the other stuff. If right. there's not a high concentration of exposure, that may not be a problem because it'll keep up with the demand, if you will. Um, right. a, more, a more, say somebody's in a really moldy apartment, they have a lease, they don't have a lot of money, they're stuck in this situation, they're going to make a, to try and make a Hail Mary pass, for lack of a better term, um, they may end up going with a larger unit because they're really just trying to zap that environment the best they can because they're not going to remediate, they're not going to move, they're in a right. tough spot. Right, exactly, yeah. So many good things that we can talk about. Real quick, I know we didn't mention it yet, but carb compliant, can you talk to the audience about that? That we can. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, CARB compliant, basically, state of California, California Air Resource Board is what CARB stands for. Um, they're definitely anti-ozone in California. And so to be CARB compliant, you basically have to have a device that passes ULA 67 electrical standards for safety, as well as um, ozone emission standards. So we always say there's two types of people in the world, those who love ozone and those who hate ozone. So rather than getting into to debates with our, our customers and with anyone else who might want to debate whether ozone is safe, not safe, uh, whether or not it's effective or not effective, we simply said, hey, we'll, you know, we'll supply with whatever device you want. So for carb compliant devices, they're ozone free, so zero ozone emissions whatsoever. For those who like ozone, I have, I have ozone in my home. And for those who like ozone, which any of our units produce ozone is very low level anyways. It's not, it's not huge amounts of ozone. It's, yeah, let's it's be all. clear. This is not by design an ozone generator. It's right, just there's right. the smallest amount of it that gets produced as a result of the technology. Right. So, and we can, we can determine that based on the lamp we use, whether or not it produces ozone. So we use non-ozone producing lamps in the carb compliant versions. But ozone does have its benefits as well. I mean, if you, if you really want to eliminate some odors quickly in your home, an ozone producing device, it does a remarkable job. They'll get rid of ozone quick. We have customers all the time that have the ozone devices that say, hey, I know your device has a, a speaker inside that beeps when it's time to replace the APCO cell, but I don't even need that. 
my trash can will tell me. If if my EpcoCell goes out, I can smell my trash yeah. can again. So, <laughs> That's the meter know, they're using. Right. So, so it works very well for odor reduction and additional VOC reduction and so forth. But there are people who are extremely sensitive to ozone as well. So it's not just a matter of what carb allows or doesn't allow, but some people are sensitive. Usually people who are, who are sensitive to chemicals in general are going to be more sensitive to ozone as well. So for them, we have no ozone producing devices also. Well, and... And I would say that you guys are just giving what I use with other clients, but the term is real talk. This is where we're at. We're none, none of us here are claiming that we know the perfect route to chronic illness. That's why there's an industry called chronic illness. We're all trying to figure it out together. And you guys are trying to answer and address the questions that industry has brought to you. I've seen it um, over the years that I have known you guys. And it's just, it's, it's one of the, it's actually just really refreshing um, is there's a lot of people out there that take advantage of, of people and we're all here to, to do the right thing. Certainly we all have bills to pay and, and, and that sort of thing, but offering a very fair product at a reasonable price. I think you guys are doing such a great job when you consider what it's doing. Um, what about, um, you've talked about the 1000 to 3000, you've talked about the IDAP air. Can we switch gears a little bit and say, first of all, why would we go to a whole house air purifier and how does one choose between nano induct and pi polar 2400? Well, and I can start that one. The, with the uh, nano index, we went to that model because there's a lot of times where, you know, we're, for years we, we've sold units that are countertop models and they're great for cleaning the air inside your home, you know, the, the, the environment in your home. But what if the, uh, your central heat and air system is contaminated? What if the coils are, are covered with with mold or, or bacteria. And, and, and obviously that's a breeding ground for those things as well, especially if there's any moisture. Uh, and, and people who live in, in a, some of our bigger areas like for sales, like in Cal, I mean, not, not California, but the Florida, uh, the Carolinas, uh, Georgia, all in, in those areas, anywhere there was a lot of moisture, there's a lot of mold. So every time their central heat and air system would kick on, it would flood the air out of, you know, inside their home with, and recontaminate it with, with mold spores and, and, and bacterium. So uh, it became a real issue. So we uh, uh, talked to some people, we, we started getting some of the contractors uh, in the area and said, hey, what, you know, what do you think? And so we were, actually came into the industry at a time that was great for us because we were able to interview a lot of contractors, get some good data, some good feedback, find out what they were looking for, what they didn't like, what they thought was incomplete or in inefficient with other uh, units that were on the market and, and were being sold uh, you know, pretty popular. And uh, we were able to develop technology and units that worked great for the central heat and air system and uh, met all electrical compliances. That, I mean, all the, like I said, things that they had complained about, we were able to overcome with our, with our um, nano-induct products and, and then the bipolar as well. So it really made a difference and that has become an explosive industry for us now. Well. I get, I can, I can definitely see that just from the terms of exposure, the more humid climates, even marine, heck, even Arizona, if the system's not yeah. operating properly, but it, it, let's call it like it is from a number standpoint, it's so much more common to hear your more humid climates um, uh, having potential um, microbial growth, biofilm type issues at and around the evaporative coil, if they have a cooling system and the ability to have something um, that can deactivate uh, or make uh, non-viable is key that to reduce that potential exposure down the road downstream. Yeah, right. Exactly. So then that's, nano in, or that's the nano-induct, uh, again, difference between that and the bipolar unit? So, so as I stated before, both units are basically taking you know, water vapor in there, breaking down into the ions. So um, the main difference between those two is the nanoinduct does have a trace amount of ozone. Since some people are ozone sensitive, it came out with the bipolar ionizer, so you can basically get all the benefits of something like a nanoinduct without the ozone. Interesting. And okay. The, uh, the bipolar ionizer also helps to uh, reduce particulates a little quicker than what a nanoinduct would as well, because mm -hmm. since it produces both positive and negative ions, that kind of cluster around particulates and weighs it down out of the air and drops it out of the air. So it's actually more effective reducing particulates in the air as well compared right. to the as a secondary and, consequence, perhaps yeah. good in this case. Right. And it's uh, a non-ozone producing unit. There's a, in a like John said, people who are sensitive to ozone, the bipolar does not produce ozone. Interesting. Um, and, and, but we do have, and I'll share a couple of quick things that there's always people that say, well, how, how do you know if it, if it's, if there's electricity there, then, then it has to be producing ozone. And uh, we use uh, 12 kV 
of electricity going through that unit, which is the threshold. If you produce uh, 12 PeV or less, um, then you're not going to produce ozone. Yeah. And so when, when you go above that, that most of the audience didn't know that because I know I didn't. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's, so that's one little thing. And of course, also the distances between the two poles on the bipolar also prevents a, you know, a, from the, the connecting of the arcing. And uh, so you don't have that uh, electric arc that, that can cause ozone as well. Yeah. So, so, so if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit more about bipolar ionizers. It's really a neat unit. So most people see the, the little blue box and they think, well, you know, I mean, that thing's the size of a smartphone as far as its footprint goes. It's, it's small. And they think, well, how can this cover an entire home? And so you, you see there's two poles, the positive and the negative pole. Right. Basically what it's doing, it's breaking down the water vapor into positive hydrogen and negative oxygen without the production of ozone. And then in order to basically, you know, revert back to water, which is kind of a natural state those two ions want to get back to, is going to actually rob a hydrogen from whatever contaminant it lands on. That's how it creates the oxidation. And then it reverts back to H2O again, and the cycle repeats. So it's just, just recycling over and over again, doing the same thing. And then also clusters around contaminants to drop out of the air as well. But those little carbon brushes is kind of the, the secret sauce and why it's so powerful. Forever, people sold negative ionizers. And it was all about how many stainless steel needles can we fit into a box? And the more needles you have, the more ions you produce. Of course, back then it was just negative ionizers. So you'd have things like black wall syndrome. So basically the static charge on walls or furniture, drapes, you name it. And all the contaminants in the room would stick to those surfaces. We called it ghosting. Yeah. There you go. So the, the good news is those contaminants are no longer in your air, but you know, they're still stuck everywhere else in the room. So <laughs> that's the downside. So, um, and then there's also a debate on whether or not that, that negative static charge would cause contaminants to stick to your lungs if you were to breathe them in. Yeah. So with, with bipolar ionization, you eliminate that because it's a balance of positive and negative ions. So you get all the benefits of a negative ionizer without the side effects, but also you take all of those little stainless steel needles that were make, comprising a big unit and you shrink them down to the eighth inch size of a brush because each bristle of that carbon brush represents a needle point. So now you basically just shrunk the technology down to the size of the bristles on the end of a brush. Which is why you can stick so much and so little. Right. right. And I'll dispel one, one uh, I guess, negative comment that we get from time to time. And that is people say, well, if it's producing positive ions, I thought positive ions were the bad ions. Well, there's nothing bad about an oxygen ion because that's, that's the negative ion. Right. Well, well and, and, I, and, and what was actually interesting to me was when John was talking to earlier, he was saying, um, you know, it's a balance because I, my understanding is that particulates can have different charges on them. It's not just positive. It's not just negative. It's not just, it just kind of depends. Right. And this bipolar unit appears to cover, again, big surprise, a wider spectrum of, of what could be in the environment and how best this unit could react with it to break them down. Um, if that's being an accurate statement, my follow-up question to this is, is there a half-life here to these products? I mean, do they just stay floating around in the air forever or do they dissipate after a while? So, so the, as far as the bipolar goes for the positive hydrogen, negative oxygen, I mean, it's really until they come into contact with another molecule. So okay. whether it's a VOC or, a, you know, biological contaminant, you name it, or especially anything carbon-based, it runs in anything carbon-based at all, is going to produce carbon dioxide and, and water as a byproduct. So, and that's just natural. Um, when you're looking at a, something like the APCO technology that produces ionized hydroperoxides, you know, that does have a shorter lifespan. You're looking about an hour. So you can only cover such, you know, only so large of an area. Of course, even with bipolarization, it can only float so far if it runs into something. Right. Where nobody has hundred percent sterile or clean environments. So yeah. nor are you guys nor are you guys promoting such yeah, an environment. Right. right. Exactly. Good deal. Um, it also doesn't produce any negative byproducts. That that and that's something that, that comes up a lot too. It, there's no no risk of uh, producing anything that's a, a toxin. And let me ask what I know an audience member would ask, how do you know that? <laughs> well, we know that because of uh, you're reverting back to water vapor. It starts out by splitting water vapor into positive hydrogen and negative oxygen, like we say. And in nature, they since they're, they're absolutely charged, they come back together as water vapor. Yeah. Well, it's the strongest bond to come back to, so it makes yeah. sense that that would be what happens. Exactly. Right. Okay. 
Got it. Um, any other products here? I know that you guys also get into commercial. I think what I'm sensing is, is that, I mean, it looks like there's a bigger unit yet um, here, but um, are there any other comments? I know Bipolar Ice, any other things you'd like to share with our audience before we close today? Well, I'll share one thing about the um, Bipolar Ice because when we discovered uh, how effective the technology, the bipolar technology was in reducing mold, we said, hey, we have a use for that. We had some people come to us and said, have you ever thought about maybe creating something that you could put in an ice machine because of the mold in ice machines? Yeah, commercial ice machines. Well, that makes sense. I've been in hotels before that have ice machines where you get your ice. And let's just say I've seen a few settings inside of the machine, which you would think is the most hospitable environment. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we both know that there's a range of environments that mold and bacteria can grow in that I'd imagine that one of these units could have prevented from occurring. How many people go to a restaurant and say, oh, man, I think I got food poisoning last night. And in one day it was gone, but they were very ill that evening. Well, it never dawns on anyone. Maybe it's the iced tea you were drinking. Yeah, maybe it was the ice coming from that ice machine. And when we did, we had uh, Dr. Navarin Ghosh, West, he's a professor of biology and environmental science at West Texas A&M. Right. And he just, he decided to do run some tests with us in a local restaurant in there and they had a big ice machine and he wanted to see how it would affect. Well, when they saw all the results and how, how contaminated those ice machines were and, and how effective, you know, the technology would be, uh, the next time he met with us, they give us the results. He didn't order ice for his iced tea when we were met at the restaurant. I was going to say, why do I have a feeling that across the country, <laughs> beer sales in restaurants are going to now go up and iced tea sales are going to go down? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, if, sorry to interrupt you. There. Oh, I was going to say, there's plenty of research and articles you can find everywhere about how bad the um, contamination is within commercial ice makers, whether it's hotels, restaurants, you name it. It's a common problem. It's finally starting to come to light. So there's Several of us out there are making devices now to help keep commercial ice makers more sanitary. It's one of the most um, overlooked devices in a restaurant or a hotel. Most of the time, they're not maintained until they quit working. So if they break down, then they go in there and say, oh, well, you know, we should clean it while we're at it. Right, it, exactly. It just up a little bit on this, on this device. You see, it is NSF listed for a food grade safety, also UL listed for electrical safety. And if you scroll up one more panel, you can see we actually won a Kitchen Innovation Award with this product as well last year. Yeah. Yeah, it's just fantastic. It's such a feel good with what you guys are doing. Um, You know, if I was to summarize to the audience after listening, talking with you guys today, uh, this technology definitely has its place uh, in its home. I think it's about appreciating where it may be more advantageous over another situation. Um, Definitely going to be helpful in reducing chemicals. And the science makes sense. I mean, uh, we've talked about it a little bit already. And certainly what I have seen, um, which I know is anecdotal, it's subjective, but you know, you got to start somewhere. We're actually seeing uh, these uh, symptomatic improvements uh, with clients. I feel better when I use these units. And I think that it's all just about slowing down to speed up. It's, you know, people, I think where some people go wrong too, is they just blindly make decisions without considering the technology, considering their environment. I think that everybody who's listening today, who's considering one of these units are heading in the right direction, but slow down, read up on the technology that these guys do provide for you, that Aeroasis family has taken the time to show you guys to understand, okay, does this seem like the right fit? Because they have something that seems like for everybody, the iAdapt Air, which I know is a newer unit uh, that we talked about earlier, uh, is something that's trying to even be broader spectrum to cover both particulates that might be floating around and able to be removed with a, um, a filter and still combining that same great technology that we've seen today has been shown to reduce certain contaminant buildups, certainly re- deactivate certain things, make non-viable mold and bacteria. We've seen the studies on that. Um, and, and also know that what I also love, and I don't want to hope I don't put myself in the wrong foot here, but one of the things I love is what's at the top of the screen right now is a 30 day money back guarantee. Um, I've had people who I've spoken with who have been on the fence about buying a product, uh, financially. I'm sure you guys can understand that. Um, you guys seem to be really good about, you know, if someone buys a product and it's just not the good fit for them, they can send it back uh, as long as it's within those terms. Is that, is that still an accurate statement? Definitely. That's accurate. And we, you know, we have plenty of circumstances too, where they'll buy the wrong product on our website. And then, you know, as soon as they contact us, our customer excellence team, customer excellence team does a good job, or I should say an excellent job at communicating with our customers. So if somebody does purchase an AO1000 G3 and say, look, this isn't doing what I thought it would, 
you know, then they do a good job of kind of diagnosing, you know, what their expectations were and they can move them into the right product to meet their expectations. So, and I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. You're, you're taking the time to give the science and understand the environment before someone just, because they may regret the decision to send it back or just not understand a part of what happened. We, we've seen that too. We've had people that say they didn't think it was working for them. They send it back and they turn and order another one because you don't realize how good it was till it's gone. So. <laughs> How can, uh, for those of those people that are listening who are new, best way to get a hold of you guys, best way to learn more about your products and services? Yeah, I mean, always through our website. There's contact us form at the bottom of the website. There's a chat window down the bottom right-hand corner. In fact, we're uh, working on a, a pretty cool feature. There'll be in the chat window soon to where you can help you select your air purifier. So there'll actually be a computer automated chat built into this to where even as outside business hours, there's nobody on the live chat. You can answer a few questions in that chat bot and it'll actually help you figure out which product is right for your scenario. Right. So. That is, that's fantastic. And in today's na- uh, day and age of I need an answer and I want it yesterday, um, <laughs> not that I totally agree with that. Um, I understand it. And that's yet one more thing that you guys are doing from the customer service perspective. Um, Jeff, John, I want to thank you both sincerely uh, for today. Um, I think you guys uh, are setting the standard. Um, uh, you're one of the people that carry the torches in chronic illness. You're, I think you guys are responsible. Uh, I think you guys um, are, are, are intelligent with your approach of technology. You've, you've been nothing but open and transparent about all of the great things that you do know about this technology. And then also re- recognizing where technologies um, are limited. I mean, these, these, these technologies aren't going to pay your taxes. Um, uh, these technologies may not be as good when we're talking about physical removal of c- contaminants that may still have a body like a, a mold right, spore yeah. that was deactivated from the environment. But there's yeah. so many good uses with this technology. And um, I've really learned a lot even today in talking with you. Thank you guys for today. And we look forward to what comes out of your guys' um, uh, research in the future. Thank, Thank you, you as well. Very much. Very much. Very much. The content of this show is for informational purposes and represents the sole opinion of the host and its interviewees only. Any reliance on the information provided in this show is done at your own risk. Additional opinions and or research may change our current view of the topics spoken in this show. We do our best to minimize any inaccuracies presented and make legitimate efforts to back all comments with our own field experience, independent literature, or studies that support the topics discussed. This information should not be used to make conclusive decisions regarding your health or exposure. Ultimately, all questions and or concerns regarding your health should be addressed by a qualified physician. Additional exposure concerns and or questions pertaining to the health of your home or building should be addressed by qualified and on-site professionals. Any and all products and services discussed in this show should not be construed as a recommendation, endorsement, or guarantee that their use is appropriate for your situation. In short, we hope this information is of value to you, but please do not act upon it without actual and individual consultation and guidance by professionals who have taken the time and appropriate collection of data to assess your unique situation.